Welcome to the Soul Center Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Master Healer Ariella Halevi and Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi, Rabbi B, your healer and guide on the journey of life. In this podcast, we will explore all things spirituality, meaning, and healing, from Kabbalah and the healing of your soul to shamanic energy work and the healing of your past, from ancient wisdom traditions to guide your spirit to modern tools to live your life. The Soul Center Podcast will empower you on your journey to heal yourself, discover your soul purpose, and live a soul-centered life. And now, on to the podcast. So welcome to The Defiant Spirit. I am Rabbi Baruch Halevi, Rabbi B, and I am delighted you have tuned in for yet another episode of this important conversation. I absolutely adore what this conversation is about, particularly today, but every Defiant Spirit. It's my life's work. It's my life's passion. It's my life's philosophy, and I'm just so honored and privileged to be able to share it with you. So as you've gathered so far, this is the third podcast, and you've learned in the first or second, if not, you can go back. Um, this is about Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, which is available and accessible to anybody and everybody. I just um, was on a panel with a Sufi mystic, and he um, and I are going to start studying Sufism and um, Kabbalah together, and very excited about that. So really, it's a bridge to um, to building peace. I believe that. I believe that that's what the great mystical traditions have um, allowed for and provided for, and we need to utilize them in that way. So let this be a bridge for you to building peace in your life, in your inner life especially. That's what this is about. And together, synthesize with the work of Dr. Viktor Frankl, author of Man's Search for Meaning, father of logotherapy, Holocaust survivor, and just an all-around inspirational figure, whose life's work became really my now life's work, which is to discover meaning and, and um, instill that into other people, particularly in the darker times, particularly in the darkness, or today as we're going to talk about when we're inside a number. So let's just recap briefly last um, couple of podcasts, especially the first one, because that's where we're going to pick up. You know, I began by talking about the Holocaust from Frankel's perspective of reductionism. This is a very important word for him. He um, witnessed firsthand, as did anybody in the Holocaust, the dangers of this very fancy word, reductionism, very simple idea to reduce. And the consequences of what happens when you reduce other human beings to less than human. The Holocaust didn't just happen, as we talked about in that first podcast. It was a process. It was a reducing human beings, their identity, stripping them away, replacing with their clothing, replacing their um, neighborhoods, putting them in ghettos, making them wear the yellow stars, um, stripping away all of their, their possessions, ultimately taking them from their relationships, from their loved ones, murdering their loved ones, and just reducing them to what uh, Dr. Frankel wrote about saying that um, he was reduced to his naked existence, right? He, he literally, he says, I'm going to quote right now, they were waiting for the showers and he wasn't sure if it was a shower or if it was um, a gas chamber. 
While we were waiting for the shower, our nakedness was brought home to us. We really had nothing now except our bare bodies, even minus hair. All we possessed literally was our naked existence. And when you reduce somebody to that level, it takes a very um, strong and resilient person to resist being, to succumbing to that, to believing that's who they are. And Dr. Frankel and many others demonstrated the defiant power of the human spirit, and he was never reduced to his number. Literally, as I shared, he wore the number on his arm like so many who went through, particularly Auschwitz. I don't know. I don't think all the concentration and death camps um, branded the um, the inmates, but um, Auschwitz did. And he was 119104. And it's important because that number symbolized what he could have been, um, what they intended him for to be, which was um, just a number. And that's where I want to pick up today because... You know, the Holocaust is an extreme. And I was just talking with a rabbi who said, you know, this is great, the defiant spirit, but God willing, we'll never know the Holocaust. So kind of how does it apply to us? And what Dr. Frank would say, Dr. Edith Eager would say, I just uh, am listening to her book right now, The Choice. And she also has another one called The Gift, Holocaust Survivor, another logotherapist, um, says that they both say the same thing, that even if you haven't gone through the Holocaust, thank God, it doesn't mean you haven't been in a personal concentration camp. Because a concentration camp is a place with inside of us where we get reduced to nothing. I don't know anybody who hasn't been reduced to nothingness. That nothingness comes in a thousand ways. And we're going to talk about the way the world reduces us. And today we're going to see it through that lens of numbers. So let's, let's talk about numbers. Um, numbers are complicated. You know, they're so common that we don't even really think about what they are. But just, just take a moment and think about what is one plus one. What we're saying is there are two things, and that may not sound like a big deal, but at least from a mystical perspective it is, because if God is one, then there is no division. There is no addition. That'd be kind of nice. I hate math. There's just one. And the moment, and we talked maybe on another podcast about how this happened from a mystical perspective, the moment though um, this world was created, there was two, there was three, there was other, there was division, there was separation. And that separation provides us an opportunity to grow. It's sort of like a parent and a child, because if a parent follows a child all day, every day, you're, you're, um, you're going to be neurotic, right? You're going to th- end up in therapy anyways, but you'll end up in therapy even more readily because your parent never gave you separation division. It was never two. It was always one. And so we need to individuate. We need to separate from the source, from God, to grow. God is a parent. The divine is a parent. And so out of, an, out of an act of love, according to Kabbalah, the divine withdrew herself. It is a she in Kabbalah, the Shekhinah, withdrew herself, making space. And in that space, right, there's opportunity. There's also um, destruction. There's hurt. There's heartache. There's pain. There's suffering. That's the consequence of letting your kids go play on the playground. They have the opportunity to choose, make good decisions, or to make bad decisions, to fall down, to skin their knees, and so forth. And so coming back to numbers, the only way we have numbers is because we live in a world of separation and division. And so we have to be very careful of this separation and division because we start believing it. We buy into it. We start believing that we are separate. How else could nations go to war? How else could people murder each other? How else could we treat people as poorly as we do? Because they're not us. 
Which, interesting, isn't it? The golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, love your fellow as yourself from the Jewish perspective. It's, it's about bridging the gap between you and other. So that's really all the golden rule is. All these, these wisdom traditions are saying is bridge the gap because the gap is an illusion. You're not separate from me. Right? We, we aren't separate. We may not know each other, but we have so much in common. We are brothers. We are sisters. And if you want that brought home, just go on an airplane sometime and hit turbulence. And if you hit sustained turbulence for long enough, the, the seatmate next to you, the person you're going to die next to, right, all of a sudden is no longer other. Right? You grab hands. You, you pray together. You cry together. You hold on to each other. These moments of extreme, you know, 9-11, right? There were no separate people. Everybody was acting as one. It's tragic, but it's also beautiful because the tragedy brought down the illusion that we are separate. Now, we shouldn't have to wait for tragedy to bring that down. So we have to bridge this gap of us, of division, which is interesting because the Kabbalistic word for evil is division, ra. Um, the, maybe some of you know that word from... Um, Rosh Hashanah, we sound the shofar, the ram's horn. And there's a broken blast called teruah. It goes like this. With a ram's horn. Not some idiot standing up there doing that. And that's brokenness. right? And we're reminding ourselves that we're broken. We live in a broken world. Life is broken. And we're supposed to be repairing the brokenness to bridge the divide between those notes, which is the end of Yom Kippur, the High Holy Days. We sound one long shofar blast. And it's called a tekiah gadola. It's a repaired brokenness. And that's the work of Kabbalah. That's the work of our life. To tikkun, to repair our broken self, to then repair tikkun olam, repair the world. Lots of people miss that memo. They just go run, running around repairing the world, and they're broken. And their marriages are broken, and their families are broken, and their communities are broken. We must start with our broken self and move out into the world. It's very important we move out into the world. The logotherapy hinges on, Frankel's view hinges on self-transcendence, to go beyond ourselves to other. But we must first address ourselves. And so right now, what we're talking about is living in a world of division. It's complicated. It's confusing because it seems like we're other. It seems like we're separate. And what happens is, in this world of numbers, we get confused really quickly. And we start believing um, the lies about the numbers. We start believing that we're separate. We also start believing that those numbers come to define us. And again, it's using numbers is important, right? I want to be able to count my change from the cashier. I want to be able to exchange and barter. But I don't want to forget that that's, that money is, is just a figment of my imagination. What does it represent? Gold in the bank, it doesn't even represent gold anymore. There's gold standards gone. I, you know, it's like trying to wrap your head around like what's blockchain, what's money. It's hard to really understand when you start processing it. So we get diluted by these numbers. And in many ways, we start believing we're the numbers. So think about the numbers in your life. Let's, let's take a very simple number that's not so simple. How about your weight? Right? If I said to you, tell me your weight, you would say, um, no, not so much. Why? Why? What's a, why can't you tell me those, those probably three digits, those three numbers? I'm 175 pounds. Well, I just ate a ton of M&Ms. I'm probably way more than that now. But the number doesn't bother me. Now, it used to. 
that number is, is now is just a number. It's not good. It's not bad. It doesn't cause me division and, and, and anything more than description. It describes where I'm at on the scale. But growing up, that was not true. Growing up, that number had power over me. I was a chubby fat kid. I was called the fat kid. Um, and, and not so, I mean, that's not a nice name, but there are much worse names that I was called than that. And those names still stick with me. Think about that stupid saying, sticks and stones can break your bones and words can never hurt you. Really? Words can destroy you. Sticks and stones, you know, broken bones heal. Words, I carry them with me 49 years later. I was um, underdeveloped, overweight, and I started working out and I became a bodybuilder. I mean, I just became passionate about, obsessed with it. But you know what was interesting is I was just as insecure about those numbers as a bodybuilder as I was the chubby kid. Why? Because the number had power over me. And I know I'm not alone in this because I counsel you. I counsel people and every person, not every person, lots of people struggle with numbers regarding weight. It comes to not only describe them, you need the numbers, go to the doctor's office. It's important to share with her your weight. But when we can't share it freely because it has power over us, then the number is no longer just a number, it's a prison. Right? They reduce us. Reductionism. They re we're reduced to that number, even when the number isn't true anymore. Like when I had surpassed it physically, but I carried it with me. And it took me a long time to really work through that number. Now, I have other numbers that I struggle with, and so do you. Think about the numbers in your life. This is a great exercise. After we're done with this podcast, sit down and write out all the numbers that revolve around your life. You'll say, B, what do you like? What else is there? How about your um, age? That's a big one, isn't it? Right? Your numbers. I remember lying about my number up into a certain point, And then I started, I was comfortable with my number. And then I started lying about my number again, right? So, like 15, I'm lying and I'm saying 16. And then, uh, you know, now 49. Actually, I don't really. Lie. I don't want to be anything younger than 49. Very happy where I am. But I can understand why people do because we live in a society that is obsessed with the number, age, what you're supposed to look like, what, where you're supposed to be at life, right? 40, I was 44 something when I retired from congregational life and you know, I, I, was, I was retired. Like I, I, was, I say that to people and people are like, no, not possible. You're not retired. I wasn't saying I was financially independent and wealthy. I said I was retired from being a congregational rabbi. I did it. Been there. Done that. Bought the t-shirt. Great. Loved it. Moving on. And it was hard for people because I wasn't at the right number. Uh, the right number, if you want to go back to school. I was just talking to somebody whose um, father-in-law went back to school at 80-something. And the professors there had a very hard time. They, they, didn't, they said they didn't. But they had a very hard time adapting to that number in a practical way to make sure that he could, you know, adapt in the classroom. You do things out of order and our society says, you know, it's, you're not the right place for that particular number. Well, what is that number? I mean, think about it. What is that number? 49. Well, all that means is my body has been whirled around the sun 49 times. It's, as we say in Hebrew, shtuyot. It's stupidity. It make, it, it's meaningless. 49 is meaningless. I've been here for 49 seasons. Um, it's meaningful as much as we invest it with meaning. And that's the point, right? We've got to be very conscious about how these numbers are handed to us, given to us, told that this is who we are. And, and again, if it's liberating, 
then wonderful. Use it, write it, engage it. But most of them become confining and reducing. We get reduced to our number. How about just a few other numbers as we, we keep this going? What, what are some other numbers? I can't hear you. I wish I could. Um, how about, we talked about weight. We talked about age. How about income, money? We're coming back to money. It's true for um, everybody, but especially true for men. I counsel, I see it more pronounced than them. Of course, it's, it can be true for women too. You are your income. And if you're not making enough, you're not earning enough, somehow you're not enough, right? You're not enough because you know what? You're 35 years old and you are not, you know, you chose not to become a lawyer or a doctor or go to Wall Street or whatever. And you're a preschool teacher and you're making $40,000 a year. Sorry, phone. Um, and you are... You are judged in our society by that decimal point and how many um, decimals it is or how many um, you know places it is over to the left or to the right. I don't know. I'm not great with numbers, but you know what I'm talking about. I was just talking to somebody who was on a dating app and they put on their, their um, profession and they're, uh, they're blue collar. They're not making a ton of money. They're very happy. He's very happy in what he does. He works in the cannabis industry here in Colorado and the manufacturing side and has been doing it for like 15 years and really is great at his job. But he has said he's had a very hard time on the particular dating app. I won't say which one because um, the women that were that he describes on that app are not so interested in somebody who doesn't have enough numbers in that particular category. Now, he's got a, a big IQ. You didn't know what I was going to say, did you? A big IQ, big numbers. Um, so he's very smart, and he's proud of that. He's uh, one of the smartest people I know, so he's leading with that. And that's great because he's looking for somebody who values that number. But let's talk about IQ for a second because we live in a society that values the number on that SAT score, that ACT score. That's just a number... Um, that measures one particular type of intelligence, test-taking intelligence, doesn't even necessarily measure mental intelligence, but tell that to universities and colleges, although they are getting away from standardized testing, which I think is a good thing, because we're not all good test-takers. I'm not. I, I did terribly on the my ACT. I forget what a bad score was. It's been so long, but I, I got like a, I don't know, I want to say a 20. You tell me if that was low. Whatever it was, it was like, very low. And I wasn't a great test taker. I was a good student. I worked hard. I, I made up for it in work ethic that I didn't have in natural um, test taking abilities. But that's just one wisdom center. You know, there's, there's no research out that we have multiple wisdom centers. We have gut wisdom. We have heart wisdom. We have head wisdom. Street smarts. I have Four kids, they're all wise in very different ways. And where one excels, the other struggles. And that's the way it should be. But when we're told that only one of those kids is right, the one who should go to college because they're measuring only from the neck up, and they start believing it, then they've been reduced by their numbers. So that particular child I, I talked to a lot about, yeah, but you have mad skills in movement, dancing, and 
emotional uh, intelligence like nobody I know. So you really have to stand guard against the way our society reduces you. Human nature reduces you. And it's not just technical numbers, right? It can be the color of your skin. It can be, well, when I used to wear a yarmulke, a, a, um, a head covering kippah, I could feel that sense of being reduced, summed up when I was around people. Like, this is um, who you are and how you vote and what you stand for. And all because I have a little piece of cloth on the top of my head. All because somebody has more melanin pigment in their um, skin. It, it's just so easy as human beings to sum up another person, to reduce them to a number. So I wanna, I wanna just talk a little bit in the time we have left about Kabbalah, the Jewish mystical understanding of this, because Frankel, though, doesn't name Kabbalah. He so describes Kabbalah. You know, he comes out of a Jewish tradition. His, his I was a great or great-great-grandfather was, his name was the Maharal of Prague, Rabbi Yehuda Lowe of Prague, and one of the greatest mystics. So this stuff trickles down in families. I think his, another family member of his was, was Rashi, the famous um, Torah commentator for, from uh, the year 11-something. So, you know, this man was steeped in Judaism, and, and he, he really shared text quite freely and Jewish values. He was very proud of it. But, it, you know, logotherapy and Frankel is universal, as is Kabbalah. So I just share these with you because he touches on so much of them. And one of the things that Kabbalah rails against is reductionism. Reducing human beings to the sum of their parts. Dr. Frankel did this in the realm of psychiatry and psychotherapy, psychology and medicine, where he was very frustrated with the, his times. Early 1900s, Freud and, and very sterile, um, rational environment where people were reduced to being um, bodies, to being psyches that are broken, that are ill. And what Dr. Frankel said is we are so much more than that, right? Yes, those things are part of us, but they are not who we are. We are the noetic, he would say. We are, we are spirit. And we've got to be very careful of reducing people to the sum of their parts, which is hard because, again, in our society, which is an industrial society and a technology society, we're used to treating people people as things, as computers, as machines. And Kabbalah was very worried about this pre-industrial, pre-technology era. They were worried, well, here's a great um, example of it. If you're going to have a, a minion, a prayer quorum in Judaism, you're not allowed to, and you have to have 10 people, and you're not allowed to walk around and count people pointing to them, hey, you're number one, two, three, nine, ten. You're not allowed to directly count a human being. Why? Because people are not chattel. They cannot be reduced to a particular number. And, and, and the reason, again, is because it's a slippery slope into hell. The Nazis got to where they were because they, they um, perverted the understanding of human beings, humanity, our relationship, our divinity. And so it's so important to see the divinity, the humanity of another person. Kabbalah, the entirety of, of the Kabbalistic journey, is to ward off reductionism, reducing our world, reducing the people around us, reducing ourselves, and doing exactly the opposite, which will be maybe our next um, podcast, expansion. The opposite of reduction is expansion. And if you... Um, 
And if you look at the Kabbalistic texts, they're all about defying the reductionism that comes. So I won't go too deep into it, but just look at the book of Exodus, which is what the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, really revolves around this particular book because Genesis is kind of a standalone. And then from Exodus onwards, it's the same narrative. <clears throat> it's the journey out of Egypt. But here's the point. Egypt, from a Kabbalistic perspective, isn't a geographical place. It's an emotional, mental, and spiritual place. We get stuck in narrowness because Egypt in Hebrew is Mitzrayim, which comes from the Hebrew word Mitzrayim, which means narrow, confining, and reduced. The entire journey of the book of Exodus, and therefore four-fifths of this ancient document that's changed certainly Western civilization, is about defying the reduction, defying the being reduced as a human being and ending up in slavery, in servitude, living small, or as Dr. Frankel would talk about, um, the existential vacuum. When we live in that space, like he described in the Holocaust, for long enough, we start losing ourselves. People in prison, their names are taken away. They're replaced with prison numbers. Again, the Holocaust. Slaves in this country, name stripped, given your slave master's name because, and we'll talk in the next podcast about, your name is the antithesis of your number. Your name is personal. Your number is depersonalized. Why did the Nazis replace Victor's name with 119104? Because it's hard to exterminate a man named Victor. It's not hard to exterminate 119104. But that's why this man really embodied such um, profound teaching for us because he defied his number. He was never reduced to a number. The Israelites are reduced, but we're going to look at the women around them, the women of the Exodus, always knew who they were. They knew their names. They knew their essence, their spirit, as Dr. Frank will call it, their nuos, the just a fancy word, um, a Latin word for spirit. And so the way to overcome all those numbers, <clears throat> the number of your weight, the number of your bank account, the number of your age, your height, your IQ, the color of your skin, your religion, your the home, your address is a number, zip codes, right? I mean, the, the list goes on and on. The way to defy them is to understand we live in a world of numbers where we got to use money and count days and um, check boxes on forms and take tests, but they are not who we are. They're just what we're doing. We can use them. We just have to be very mindful not to be used by them, to stand guard against um, becoming a number, and to remember you are a spirit. You are you. You are your name. Next conversation. Another time I will talk about the Enneagram as well because I have deep conflict as an Enneagram teacher, student, practitioner. Um, the Enneagram is an ancient personality, psychology kind of assessment using numbers, typing people with numbers, which is deeply challenging. But I won't get into it today. Um, I have done other talks on that as well. So for now, we will wrap it up. Defy your number, live your spirit, live your name. Till the next time, shalom, salam, namaste, and peace. You've been listening to the Soul Center Podcast with your hosts Ariella and Baruch Halevi. If you'd like to learn more about Soul Center, please visit mysoulcenter.org. 
You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at My Soul Center. And if you found meaning and inspiration in this podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd also love to hear from you to connect with you. So please reach out to us. And until then, we wish you Shalom, Salam, Namaste.